many of you have been here at least for the past four weeks to show hands? I want to know who's been rolling with us. Awesome. So many people, so many joining online. Online. Can we put our hands together for online campus today? Uh, we're going to transition into the second chapter of 1 Peter. And I told you it was coming. We are going to begin our first mini series of this series. And uh, I'm really excited about this. The first couple of weeks, the first four weeks, was really just a um, was just a build up to this moment. Peter's giving a lot of introductory um, truths, and he's building some theological um, building blocks, if you will, that we need to understand. And then he's going to launch into what we're about to read today uh, in First Peter chapter two, verses one through ten. Um, and the, these verses that we're going to read today happen to be my most favorite verses in all of Scripture. I mean, there's some good stuff in Scripture. Come on, somebody, right? There's some great stuff in Scripture, but these uh, these verses right here are just so thick, so strong, so so purposeful. It's great intention with how Peter writes this, and and in doing so, he's going to highlight some very significant truths that we are going to be discussing over these next few weeks. Actually, the next six weeks, uh, leading up to our annual legacy offering on, on March the 20th, and it's going to be a massive moment. We'll talk more about that in the coming weeks. But I just want to tell you this, and this is not just like the pastor saying this. But like somebody who, if I had other places to be, I'd still be in church on Sunday. Get here every week leading up to that moment. Uh, next week and the week after and the week after, there's going to be some really significant moments around here. You don't, you don't want to miss anything around here. So First Peter chapter 2, verse 1 says this. It says, therefore. Ever shout, therefore? Come on, ever shout, therefore? So when the Bible says, therefore, you must see why it's there for. Okay? It's important. The college professor told me that one time. I thought it was fun. It says, therefore, in the ESV version, it says, so. And it's an indication that he's going he's gonna to continue with a thought that's connected to what we've been previously reading. It says, therefore, because of all of these things, therefore, because of what, what I just said to you, rid yourselves of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. How many of you would agree with me? That sounds like some good stuff to get rid of. So Peter says, I want you to get rid of all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. How many of you would agree that the world would be a better place if we got rid of that stuff right there? Right? So then he says, like newborn infants desire the pure milk of the Word. And this is a really important statement because Peter's suggesting to us in other portions of Scripture, you'll hear about the Word being meat and, and maturity comes from eating meat, but it's in this moment right here that Peter gives us an indication that there's there's purity to God's word and it helps us grow just as much as meat does. It's like an infant, as he says, desiring milk from a, a mother. It's pure. It's what has nutrients. It's what has everything that's needed for growth. It promotes health. And so we, we must desire the pure milk of God's word. So that by it, you may, here it is, grow up into your salvation. If you have tasted that the Lord is good. I love that part right there because what he's saying is like, when you read this, you've tasted that the Lord is good. Come on, somebody. When I get his word into me, I go, hmm, that's good. Right? Sometimes we read it and we're like, hmm, I don't know. But most of the time we go, hmm, that, that's good. That's, that's good stuff right there. And that, that's what he says. I need, you to, I need you to make sure that you see, that you taste and, and see that the Lord is, is good. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by people, but chosen and honored by God, you yourselves are living stones, 
a spiritual house, and you are being built to be a holy priesthood to offer of a spiritual sacrifice is acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, see, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and honored cornerstone, and the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. So honor will come to you who believe. But for the unbelieving, the stone that the builders rejected, this one has become the cornerstone and a stone to stumble over, a rock to trip over. They stumble because they disobey the word. They were destined for this. But you, here it is, like this is the crescendo of these ten verses. We're not going to get to these today, but we're going to talk about them in the coming weeks. So listen to what he says. And I can see like Peter just getting amped up. Like he's pressing the pen harder. And maybe if it's me right now and I'm like dictating it, it would sound a lot like this. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. I think that's how it needs to be read. Because it's that massive, it's that good. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Today, as we continue on in our series, You Are Here, I want to begin our first mini-series that we're going to be calling The House That God Built. The house that God built as we look at this beautiful gospel community known as the church. The house that he said he would build and the gates of hell did not prevail against it. Would you just pray with me one more time this morning as we dig in? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's alive, it's active, it's powerful. It has the ability to transform us from the inside out. And so collectively, God, I ask right now that you would speak to us. We need to hear your voice. But thank you for what it is that you're doing in this place today. And so God, may your truth, as we apply it to our lives, set us free today. We need your word in our lives. May we desire it. May we crave it today as we build our life upon it. In Jesus' mighty name. Come on, let me start shouting. Amen. Hey, so I um, am fascinated with architecture, fascinated with building. Um, I am not a builder. I don't build things. Is there anybody like me? Like, I, I break things. <laughs> that's, that's more or less my gym. Uh, I'm not a builder. I, I am envious of those of you, and I know some of you in this room, uh, I'm envious of those of you who have the ability to feel like see things and then build it. Like you know how to put a uh, you can put a shelf up and it actually could bear weight. I can't do that. Okay, um, I can't handle things like my, my father. This is how inept I am. My father-in-law had to come over to help me and my wife uh, put up a, a large mirror. It was a heavy mirror in our house, but he's the go-to in, when it comes to things needing to be built and put together in my home. Someone said that you marry uh, the person that's a lot like your father. Uh, that's a lot. Erica didn't, okay? <laughs> I do not have the skills. I do not have that gift set. It's, it's not quite. You know what I'm good at building? Lincoln logs. That's, does anybody remember a good old-fashioned Lincoln log? Come on. Right, okay, just show hands because I just need to know who's in the room today. How many of you have heard of Lincoln logs? Okay, cool. Seriously. All right, so you're all saved. All right, Fantastic. I won't be a builder when I grow up, um, but I am fascinated by it. I, I pay attention to architecture. I watch things being built up. I'll, I'll drive past a building that I know is, is being built just because it, it, it does something for I just really, really enjoy it. And so that's why this portion of Scripture is really fascinating to me and is probably one of my most favorite in Scripture because we are getting into the guts of what God is building. 
to say that one more time. We are getting into the guts of what God is building. And that is His church. St. Boniface said it like this, In her voyage across the ocean of this world, the church is like a great ship being pounded by the waves of life's different stresses. Our duty is not to abandon ship, but to keep her on course. Generation after generation, there have been willing men and women who have worked, tilled, stewarded, and given their lives for the purpose of building the church. The building and the course management of this beautiful gospel community. And I think it's important that we take time to build the church because there's a lot of things in our current culture right now that are throwing stones at the church. And I get it. How many of you agree with me right now that the church has jacked some things up? Right? But here's what I want us to reconcile and realize in this moment. It was not these four walls that jacked it up. Come on. It wasn't the stage. It wasn't the lights. It wasn't the screens. It wasn't anything. It was, it was humans. And the church is what the church is because you go to it. Let me say it more like this. The church is what the church is is because you and I are what God is building it with. I, mean, so I, gotta, I, just, I need you to kind of deal with me. You and I are what God is building the church with. You and I are the raw materials of this thing known as the church. So no wonder it's a little weird. Come on, have you ever said this before? Like, like you've or maybe not said it, but you've expected the church to be perfect? That's a really hard ask, considering you and I are the materials. So next time it comes up in your head, it goes up in your heart, I wish this thing was better, just look at... <laughs> Y'all with me this morning? So yeah, I don't like this guy. Can we have the donuts now? But here's the... Here's the... The strand that is through every generation and century the beginning of time. And the church, most importantly, is being built in, around, and upon Jesus. And when any other foundation is laid, I will tell you that it is wrong. This church is not being built upon Jason. It's not being built upon the staff. It's being built upon Jesus. Oh, come on. I said that one more time because I need to know that you're like with me. This church is not being built upon anything else but Jesus. And when the foundation is laid and it's not him, it's off. And that's what Peter's really, really dealing with here. Throughout Scripture, you're going to hear different moments where Jesus is considered a cornerstone, a chief cornerstone, a foundation, a rock. There's all of these terminologies that are given to help us understand who Jesus is within this house that he said he would build. One author describes it this way, cornerstone this way. He says, in the ancient world, the cornerstone was the most important stone in the building. It sets the level, the angle, and the outer dimensions of the building. It had to be level and square, true, vertical, so that all the other stones could be set from it. If it were not level, then the walls of the building were erected and they would lean and fall. Isaiah chapter 28, verse 16 says this, Therefore, the Lord God said, Look, I have laid a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. The one who believes will be unshaken. What Isaiah prophesies and Peter highlights is a theme that would be found in the teachings of Paul the Apostle. 
as well. And as we discovered last week, Peter affirms those teachings. Listen to what Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22. He says, So then, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole building being put together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you are also being built together for God's dwelling in the Spirit. This is what Scripture is suggesting to you and I, is that the church, you and me, the church, this this living, breathing organism, this spiritual house, this gospel community, with Jesus at the center is being built into something magnificent. It was Jesus' plan A. It was the thing he said that he would build and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. And it's messy at times and it's weird at times and it doesn't always look the way that we want it to at times. But I gotta let you know that Jesus loves his church. You and I are a part of his church. It is the kingdom work that he is advancing. It's the kingdom work that he's doing. And I know for some of us in this room today, to, to say that there's a lot of baggage associated with it, there's a lot of thoughts and ideas and concepts that are connected to it. And I hope today, and over these next six weeks, we can just, we can take some of those things down to help us get a bigger picture, a better picture of who and what the church is. Come on, somebody. But we've got to start with the foundation. How many of you agree with me? Show of hands. How many of you agree with me that the foundation is the most important? Say that one more time, because some of you don't know, apparently. Um, let's try one more time. How many of you would agree with me that the foundation is the most important? Okay? So we got to talk about the foundation, Jesus. For the next few weeks, you're going to see these rocks up here. They're not actual rocks. <laughs> they're plastic. But, um, you're like, he's so strong. So I'm not going to do much with these today. I just want to start getting the illustration in our mind. But... The Bible, in First Peter, we just read, uses this term living stones. That Jesus is the original living stone. And that you and I are living stones. But the church is being built, this church of living stones is being built upon this stone. The foundation, the rock, the chief cornerstone. Y'all with me still? And so for the next few weeks, we're going to use these to help illustrate what that looks like and the importance of doing so. But over these next few weeks as well, I want us to understand and hopefully grab a hold of this fact right here is that you and I matter in this process. If you came in here today and you're like, man, if you're questioning your worth, you're questioning your value, you're questioning who God's called you to be, I'm going to let you know right now this may be one of the most encouraging messages and mini-series that you could be a part of because you play a role in this. You play a part in this. You matter more than you could ever realize. And so if you donned these doors for the first time, walking through a little wide-eyed, what's going on here, I just want you to know that you are not here on accident. It's not happenstance that you arrived here today. God has you in this moment for such a time as this. But it's important that we understand what happens when first and foremost Christ is our foundation. And so I'm going I'm to aim this very personal today. And then we'll get to the building blocks over the next couple weeks. But what I want to do today is I want to suggest something to us. If you're writing notes, I want you to write this down. This is an unpopular opinion, and for the sake of offending a lot of people today, I'm still going to say it. this down, there is a right way to build your life. I know it's not tweetable. 
how many of us want a hashtag, but there's a right way to build our life. How many of you agree with me? In the world right now, there's, there's all kinds of opinions how to build our life, which is really coming to the place of like, well, I just, I just want to build things my way. I want to, I want to do it my, my way. But in this series of conversations we're going, to be, we're going to be having over the next little while, we're going to discover that there's a right way to build our life, first and foremost, with Jesus as the foundation. And then it'll all kind of start spinning out from there. And so what I want to do today is I want to look at four truths about Christ as our foundation. What happens when we make Christ our foundation? For those of you in this room today, maybe this is your first time, you've, you've never had a conversation like this, you've never been in a service like this, I just I want to encourage you to lean in with me today. Church is a, is a uh, participation sport, okay? So the more that you shout amen, the quicker we get out to donuts. The quieter you are, the longer we stay in here, okay? So what I want to do is I want to look at four truths concerning Christ as our foundation and what happens when we make Him our foundation. Here's the first one. Come on, shout number one. Here's the first thing. He transforms who we are. He transforms who we are. When Christ is our foundation, He transforms who we are. Um, a word I've been hearing a lot lately in, in our culture, conversations that I'm in, different social media outlets. I'm, I'm hearing this. I'm just trying to be authentic. Come on, how many of you have heard that before? Or, or we've said it before. I'm just trying to be, I'm just trying to be authentic. We're, we're looking for authenticity. Right? We want church to be authentic. We want our coffee shops to be authentic. We want our gyms to be authentic. Right? It's like, it's, it's authentic. That's the new Vogue term right now. Authenticity. Everyone's running around trying to be authentic. True to ourselves. I'm just trying to be true to myself. That's all. Just, just who I am. Listen to what the Bible says about who you and I are authentically. Titus 3. Y'all remember this? For we too were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved by various passions and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and detesting one another. That's what the Bible deems as our authentic self. How many of you have seen this in the world at play right now? I actually don't want to be authentic. I don't want to be authentic. <laughs> right? You know, I've ever said that to you before. Like, you're just being like a total jerk, right? And you're like, hey, I'm just, I'm just being foolish and disobedient and deceived right now. I'm just being true to myself. Well, you're really hateful right now. It's who I am. It's just who I am. So I, I don't want to be. I want. I don't want to be authentic. I want to be transformed. And Paul will talk about this in the same sense. This is what happens when we come to, when we come to Jesus. Watch what he says. But when the kindness of God, our Savior, and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us. Not by works of righteousness that we had done, but according to His mercy. Through the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit, He poured out His Spirit on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So that having been justified by His grace, we may become heirs with the hope of eternal life. Come on, somebody. That's transformation. So He uses this term, regeneration. It's a big Bible term. One commentator puts it like this to help us grab a hold of it. He says, regeneration is not a self-improvement program. 
nor does a clean, nor is it a cleanup campaign for our sinful natures. Regeneration is nothing less than the impartation of new life. And this is important because here's what many of us do is that we try to follow Jesus and we think that it's a behavior modification program. To which I operate from the same database, but I try to do different things than what the database is suggesting. What we're reading right here is that when I come to Jesus, he changes the database. So it's not what I do, it's what I live from. And the Holy Spirit working in me to the transformation when I place my life on this rock known as Jesus, the database changes and therefore my desires change, my taste changes, my eyes, the way I see things and the way I perceive things. And so I'm not operating in behavior modification, but rather I'm operating from a new self. Let's, let's put it this way. Let's, let's look at it like this. This will help some people out. So let's just take PC as our sinful life. An apple as our redeemed life. Things just work better when we change the system. So I'm an equal opportunity offender, okay? So, in other words, regeneration is the agent of change in our lives. And we find ourselves building our life upon this, this rock. It changes. It changes who we are. Y'all, y'all with me this afternoon? It changes who we are. So our lives, instead of understanding in, independence, are doing You see that? It changes. Our life is stacked upon them. Our desires change. Things that we want change. The way that we see things and think and things that we change. This would save some of our lives right now. Don't try that. Somebody else can do that. Maybe. Here's the question that I want to ask you today if you take a minute. Write this down. Is it shame or regeneration that we are allowing to shape our identity? It's the two places that we live from. People just walk to the closet of our faith every single day before we get up and we look in there and it's like, what am I going to put on today? Am I going to put on the new self that's created in Christ Jesus or am I going to put on the shame self? And we stand there and we debate. Hmm. What am I going to put on today? And it amazes me how many of us continue to decide to put on shame rather than the new self. putting on something new, isn't it? Right? Like, I remember when I was in ninth grade, and I went to the homecoming dance with Erica. I know. Your high school sweethearts, it was rough. Let me just for a long time. But I, I'll never forget. I'll never forget. I was like the pimple face, like this scrawny, and like, I was not as good looking as I am now. So, um, <laughs> just like, but I'll never forget, I'll never forget putting on a tuxedo for the first time. Come on, how many of you know what I'm talking about? Like this, this, like, just weird, like, puberty latent ninth grader, just awkward, I put on a tuxedo. Oh my goodness, it changed me. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Some of you guys, it still changes you. 
you turn into a whole different person. Like, I, I walked in there just like, it's all weird and everything like that. I put it on, I looked in the mirror, I was like, oh, yeah. I'm old, something like a strut came out of me. And I'm like, I got this, I walked out, and it was just like, right? Erica walks in the door, she's used to me just being all kind of weird. I'm like, hey, yay, what's up, girl? Because I put something else on. Because I put something new on. See, it changed, it changed me. And so when I put on the new life that I have in Christ Jesus, it changes who I am. And so my behaviors change, my thoughts change. Everything changes. So when I place my life, and Jesus is my firm foundation, he transforms me. Here's some, here's some fun facts that I'm calling it. Fun, fun facts about my life being built on Jesus and, and being transformed by Him. Fact one, my deficiencies do not define me. My deficiencies do not define me. This is why Paul would say my weakness are made strong. No matter what's happening in my life, no matter where my broken place is at, they don't, they don't define me. But come on, how many of you agree with me? A lot of times in life we have a tendency to allow our broken places to define who we are. We're constantly looking at the broken things. Listen, I'm just, I'm just suggesting to you that I believe, I'm still crazy enough to believe that when I come to Jesus, He fixes my broken things. When I, when I place my life on Jesus, He fixes my broken things. We live according to the lie that the world propagates so many different times. I am what I am. I cannot change. I am hopeless. Tupac said it like this. It's just the way that it is. I want to suggest to you that that's not the way that it is. We can always confidence when we come to Jesus, go, that's the way that it was. But I am now a new creation in Christ Jesus. Come on, anybody thank you for Jesus today. Here's the other, here's the other fun fact. Fun fact about placing my life on Jesus and Him transforming me is that my past is not my portion. My past is not my portion. And too often our self-image and our identity rest solely on an evaluation of our past behavior, our past circumstance, our past experience, the things that have happened to me. Can I just say this to, to some of us today that need to grab a hold of this? We need to stop building our identities upon the rubble of yesterday's personal disappointments. So what we tend to do, I wish this was expected. So what we tend to do is live our life, the living stone, called to build our life on, on Jesus, but I want us to see that this, for many of us, is the rubble of yesterday's disappointments. And so we walk up here, the living stone, just legs. <laughs> we wander up. I'm being very emphatic with this illustration, but I need you to see this. And we're choosing so we're going to build our life on. And for some of us, we're building on the rubble of yesterday's disappointments, thinking that's where our life is going to find its greatest place. But I just want you to know that your life is founded on it, it produces something in you. 
produces the head of brokenness. Come on, it, it repeats itself, but in Christ, our task is not our portion. In Christ, it's a new foundation. So this is some fun facts about what it means to build my life on transformation. Fun facts about transformation. Two, come on, every shot over two. Here's the second thing that we need to grab a hold of. Is that when we build our life on Christ, we become a part of something bigger than ourselves. We, we, we become a part of something bigger than ourselves. Peter calls it a spiritual house. I love the term gospel community. This would be something that you hear me say a lot over the next few weeks. And that's a times a difficult notion because we all, with great clarity, understand that, that families are at times filled with failure and weakness. This is true of the church, but just because failure and weakness exist does not mean that we are any less a part of it and any less called to build it. I want you to hear this. Quoting Vaclav Benda, a survivor of Soviet communism who wrote an essay on family between in the winter of 1987 leading into 1988. Author Rod Dreyer repeats this quote. I want you to hear it because I think it's a fascinating quote. He says, the family must be a real home. That is a place which is livable and set apart, sheltered from the outer world. A place which is starting, which is a starting out point for adventures and experiences, with the assurance of a safe return. In other words, I want you to hear this is such beautiful language, and, I, and, and this is really the heart of the well. In other words, a haven in a heartless world. I love that quote. And while he's speaking about the natural family, I think that it's just it's true from the spiritual house that God is building. The problem is that over the years, something else has been being built. Something that's brought contempt and dysfunction to both our natural families and our spiritual houses of worship. Once again, Rod Dreyer helps us with this as he writes this. Listen to this. With the advance of consumerism and individualism, we've built a societal ecosystem in which the function of the family has been reduced to producing autonomous consumers with no sense of connection or obligation to anything greater than fulfilling their own desires. And it's when this ideology finds its way into our homes and our houses of worship, it's when this ideology finds its way into our homes and our houses of worship that it all breaks down. Because we have not been called to be individualistic consumers, people running around with smartphones, yelping our families and, and Google reviewing our churches, but rather we've been called living stones in a spiritual house that God is building. We are a part of each other. We are interconnected with each other. Come on, somebody. I looked up our Google reviews the other day. Stay out of the comment section. Unbelievable. And I was fascinated as I was thinking about this. Because while there's some great Google reviews from some of you in this room, there are many other Google reviews from a consumeristic, individualistic ideology that says that we are all autonomous individuals just sitting in isolated seats. Let's return your neighbor right now. Turn your neighbor. Say you're a living stone. Moment. Okay. Now look at them. Look at them and say, "I'm a living stone." Come on. Okay. Couple more things. This is a participation service. I want you to say this to each other. We are connected. 
Dang, I'll say this. Dang it. God is using to build this house. We're a part of something bigger. Church is not something that you just show up in attendance at. Come on. This is not an event. It's not an event that we just show up to on Sunday. It's a house we're a part of. I haven't done a message like this in a really long time, but I gotta just tell you, I am so fired up about this right now because I really believe, I really, really believe if we do it right, if we put Jesus at the center, if we have our lives transformed, if we get connected to one another, the house that God is building in this generation is gonna be a beautiful house. It's gonna be a powerful house. It's gonna be a house where lives are changed and transformed. I was just talking to somebody in between, in, in between services and we're talking about a lot of the deconstruction that's happening right now. A lot of the rocks that are being thrown at the church. Can I just tell you this? And you can read it across scripture. Go research it yourself. I would, I would invite a conversation about this 100%. You cannot love Jesus and hate his church. It is physically impossible. You can't. Now, you can love Jesus and go, the church is a little messy, but once again, that's because we are in it. But you cannot hate the thing that he loves, the thing that he's the head of. Right? You cannot be, I wish my wife was here. She's with sick kiddos right now. You cannot come into my home. Okay, now I'm going to get really offensive, right? Okay, so you cannot come into my home, pull Erica aside, walk into my kitchen, and be like, hey, listen, just so you know, I love you. That knucklehead, I hate him. It's an incongruence if it doesn't work. So we can go, man, we constantly want to make it better, but we cannot hate the thing that Jesus said he would build. You and I, living stones. I'm not getting up in anybody's business. Okay, so, what, so what's, the, what's the family? What's the church? The, the gospel community? What, what's it about? Another fun few factoids for you. Family is the antidote to isolation. This is an idea that I pressed into, into last week, and, and for the sake of time, I'm not going to dig into it like super deep. It's just going to be an ongoing thread in our conversation over the next few weeks. But 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 26 talks about the interconnectedness, the bond of family within, within the idea of church. And that Christ is a part of that. He's the head. So it says this in verse 12 of chapter 12, it says, just as the body is one and has many parts, and all the parts of that body, though many are one body, so also is Christ. So we are all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we are all given one spirit to drink. He's going to go on, he's going to talk about the interconnectedness of this. But the whole point is so that you and I wouldn't live lives of isolation. And I think that is what 2020 to 2020 now. My new term, 2020 now. I believe that is what we've learned. Isolation is not good for us. Because here's what many of us are trying to do, is that many of us 
are trying to live the lives that we God wants us, but isolated. Alone. I just want to say this and be very clear today. Some of us in this room, we need to get into a table group desperately. You got to get into a table group desperately. You need to get into a class. You need to go to You need to get connected to people. I would say this. Is that for me to blow my life up is a very difficult task. I can still do it, for sure. Because I'm still an autonomous person in that way. I got a lot of people in my life that would, like, that would be the checkpoints along the way of a total disaster in my life. First and foremost, I've got my wife. Okay? This is what, this is what the Bible says. Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. My wife is a feisty piece of iron. I got a father-in-law. He has weapons. I've got a best friend who's on staff with us to do ministry and life with. Some people say it's impossible to work with your best friend. I wouldn't have it any other way. He keeps me in check. And some of us would wonder why it's so easy to go out and wreck our lives. Well, it's easy. And you're all by yourself. I keep looking over here at Chris George, one of my favorite human beings. Yeah? So if you get Chris George in your life, just say, hey man, I'm going to be connected with you. He'll make it a whole lot harder for you to go blow up your life. Why? Because he's got people in his life that make it a whole lot harder for him. I just know that because of the man's character and, and integrity. That's, that's the interconnectedness that happens there. So we're going we're gonna to end here soon. But here's what, I, here's what I'm hoping that happens over donuts and sugar. Is that you connect and that we become the church living stones connecting us together. Not isolated, not, not independent. Young adults, can I just say this to you? Don't just get isolated with other young adults. Come on, you need you need to find you need to find Kathy over here. Where's Kathy at? Kathy's right here. Come on, come on. If you, how many of you have met Kathy before? Kathy is one of my favorite human beings. Come on, young couples. You can find Dr. Lori over here. Kids with young or uh, families with with young children. You need to find somebody who's got their kids out of their house. You see what I'm talking about here? Like, I'm just using these gross analogies so that we can hear this. this is so important because what we end up doing is we, we isolate. We think we isolate in our people groups. 2020 to 2020 now has exposed some fractures within these living stones. So you got to get out of your age bracket. you got to get out of your race bracket. You gotta get out of your socioeconomic bracket. You gotta get out of your work bracket. Am I, talk, am I talking to anybody today? If we're gonna be the church, this is what it's gonna take. This is what it's about. I'm help it. I love, I love the Proverbs. Proverbs 12.1, listen to this. Whoever loves discipline, loves knowledge. But he who hates reproof is stupid. It'll come up on the screen right now. I'm not making it up. Is it there? Yep, right there. Look at that. 
It's the ESV version, I believe. Some of you like that is the scripture I've needed all day today. You just texted it. Stop. Proverbs 15, 14, the heart of him who has understanding seeks knowledge, but the mouths of fools feed on folly. Proverbs 18, 15, the intelligent heart requires knowledge, and the ear of the wise seeks knowledge. Proverbs 19, 20, listen to advice and accept instruction that you gain wisdom in the future. Proverbs 20, verse 18, plans are established by counsel, by wise guidance, to wage war. Proverbs 16, 22, without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. What is this talking about? Interconnectedness, not being isolated, getting around people who have God's in their apartment, in their head, and on their mind. Number three, we've got number three. I'm not going to spend too much time on this one because we're going to get into this later in this little mini series, but here's the third thing that happens when we build our life on Jesus is that we will stabilize God's word. We had this a couple weeks ago, Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27. Lots of scripture today because I want you to hear, I'm not like just conjuring up my opinion, okay? It says, Therefore, Everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Or I want you to see right here. Who hears these words of mine and acts on them. Here's my concern for our generation right now, is that we're doing a lot of hearing and a lot less acting. You are stabilized by truth. Here's what I love. Is that I know that I can sit on it. Stabilize it. It's there, like it's, it's a firm foundation. Some of you are literally losing their mind right now. But a lot of us are stabilizing our lives on many other things right now. It's trying to. And then we keep on wondering why I feel so destabilized. Can I just talk real like this today? Is that, is that right? We're wondering why we're wavering and, and why, like, I don't understand and, and I'm not locked in and, and I feel like everything's pushing me around every single day and I'm scared and I'm fearful and I'm this and I'm that. And it's like, put yourself in a rock. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, listen, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. That's why we live in a destabilized world, by the way. It's because we are burning truth down. And we've got to stop burning truth down. It doesn't mean the house is still pelted by the storm. It still has things like going up against it, but it, it's truth. It's a, it's a firm foundation Yeah, there's an illustration in that right there. I want to ask us this question. I want us to consider this today or this next week. What is your truth? It hasn't really stabilized you. Because I, I, I know what my truth is. Jesus said it. He said, and the truth will set you free. And that's an important thing for us to realize. 
Because I think we're in a generation right now that is desperately seeking after truth. I hope that this church and many other churches across this valley can be the lighthouse of truth that we need to be. And I'll tell you how we do it. It's not by changing our orthodoxy, it's not by changing our theology or changing our doctrine. In Christ, this is all about Christ as our foundation. And so, in the next few weeks, we're going to see these stones come Let's get the wood. Let's get the isolated stones. Okay. Place where God was really pushing me. 
So I'll never forget service starts. The band starts going, the worship team's going.
Many of us in this room today who have said yes to Jesus, who have said yes to the transformation that is found in Him and by Him and through Him and because of Him. But I know there's some of us in this room today that would say, Man, Jason, I haven't said yes to Jesus, but I want my life to be changed. I want my life to be transformed. I want to follow Jesus. I want to give Him who I am so that I can become who He's called me to be. And if that's you today, I want to pray a prayer, all of us together, so don't leave anybody out. But if you'd be saying, Jason, I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to say yes to the salvation that is in Him. Make this your prayer today. We're all going to do it together so we don't leave anybody out. But come on, as loud as we can, would you all pray this after me? Everybody say, Jesus, I'm giving you everything. I'm giving you my past. I'm giving you my right now. And I'm putting my future in your hands. Save me. Change me. Make me new. And I declare in this moment that I'm going to follow you Thank you for what it is you're doing in this house. 